Hello and welcome to We're Watching What? I'm your host Dana, or the DHK as I'm known, and truly the award season race has begun and it's going to be such a bizarre award season because the standards are probably going to be pretty low. And the majority of films this week are definitely in that category of please gimme gimme an Oscar and I think that is why they've chosen to release in 2020 as opposed to waiting till 2021 because they know that in a regular competitive year they would not be top contenders. But be sure to listen to the reviews to find out which are worth your time and which are pretty skippable, even in this 2020 content drought. So without further ado, here's We're Watching What? First up is Sound of Metal, which stars Riz Ahmed as a drummer who goes deaf. And there were a lot of elements of this movie that reminded me of other films, not in a bad way, but anytime there's a drummer movie now, I sort of think of Whiplash. And there's this one scene in the film Babel, which features a deaf character as well, which plays with sound design in a really clever way. And I feel like this was the full length movie of that. And that's not, again, this is actually a pretty good thing. The sound design in this film was so stressful as a hearing person. As with the majority of the other films up for review this week, this definitely feels like an awards bait film. And honestly, in this case, I'm willing to acknowledge it because I do think Riz Ahmed gives a spectacular performance. I think he's such a good actor, The Night Of, even Star Wars. He clearly has musical talent as well. If you aren't aware, he has a whole musical career as a rapper. So it's not a super stretch for him to play a musician or music based character. I think the film also does some really clever stuff in terms of when they use subtitles and when they don't, and it sort of switches switches between when he's hearing and when he's not and sort of what the language that would be translated to us and how a hearing person might feel like an outsider in certain conversations and a non-hearing person would feel like an outsider in other conversations and that sort of perspective change it's subtle, but it's very clever. I love that the film is unapologetic about sort of deafness and that it's not necessarily considered a disability by a lot of the people in the film. I think it tells a pretty solid story, but ultimately this is a Riz Ahmed vehicle. And thankfully he is a, such a good actor that he pulls it off. It's available on Amazon Prime. It's absolutely worth checking out. I think the one sort of warning I would give is he's in a punk rock type band with a lot of screaming involved. And so the first few minutes of it were so stressful because he's just, they're at these music shows and it's just not my cup of tea in terms of music. And I was listening to it actually um, in the middle of like the post-election week that, and I was just like, my blood pressure is up. This isn't helping. Everything is stressful right now. So you might want to turn your volume down in the beginning if you are somebody who is sensitive to noise as I actually am. Also to be very clear, this is not whiplash, right? I know I mentioned it when I first started talking about the film, but this is really about his journey and his dealing with this major life status change with him and how, how he's going to navigate that and the decisions he makes. There's there's really no reason not to watch this film. So I'm going to give it four out of five. And then next up is Nomadland and it's from director Chloe Jaw and she's directing The Eternals, which I'm very excited for. She also did The Rider and Songs My Brothers Taught Me. This is a very Oscar bait film and I think I've talked in years past about how I tend to sort of get frustrated by those films and I, I have a tendency to want to reject them right off the bat, but I was actually very excited for this one because she is an, you know, an Asian director. She's a woman director. I also think The Rider is a really great film and so I wanted to see what she could do. It stars Frances McDormand in a nomadic lifestyle as indicated by the title. Everyone she deals with sort of lives out of vans and have these transient jobs. Like she works at an Amazon warehouse at one point and also it looked like they actually filmed in an Amazon warehouse, which was really interesting. I was really excited for the film. I don't know what that did to my expectations. I also, this is one of the few films I saw. I saw it, it was my first time at a drive-in movie. So I saw it at a drive-in, which was a, a novel experience for me. And I feel like I might've been a little distracted by the novelty of it and the other cars around and people getting out and walking around a little bit. It was a little bit distracting for me, but 
ultimately it's a it's a meandering film. It's not particularly plot driven. I've said before that's not a necessity, but it does have to have a story. And I I guess looking back on it, it had it has a story. It's not, there's not any question that it has a story and there's arcs and stuff like that. It just took a long time for me to come to the realization of what they were. And it's also it was weird watching this film in 2020 because it's a film about exploration and, and not sort of crazy, you know, wild exploration, but she is exploring the United States from this van because she doesn't have constraints. And in this year where if you're being a good citizen and neighbor, etc., you've been living under sort of really aggressive constraints. It's it's hard to see that freedom within reach, but but not, you know, not getting to experience it firsthand. So I don't know how that's going to impact other people's viewing experiences. But for me, it was something that it really made me very sad. And in another year, I might not be like, yes, I want to go get in a van and, and, you know, use a bucket as my bathroom. But this made me consider it. I think Frances McDormand is good in this as she's, you know, when is she not good? It's a sort of understated performance. I think she's been that in a lot of things recently. I strongly feel she's going to get nominated for an Oscar for this. There's a moment in it that is very, uh, it's, it's something that happens to all people uh, at one time or another involving a bathroom. And I was like, Frances McDormand is going to get nominated for um, this bathroom moment. That's what's going to end up happening. And good for her, because if anyone can pull it off, it's her. I would say be aware of what it is going into it. It's not necessary, you know, it's a character study is really what it is. But unlike, I think, Sound of Metal, Sound of Metal has something that a lot of people might not be able to firsthand relate to, but can sort of understand. And the sound design sort of helps you along with that. This one is a lot more of an internalized journey. And I think it requires more work of an audience member to go along with that journey. But if you're willing to do it, it's it's an interesting watch. Just be aware of what it is. I'm also going to give it four out of five. Going to take a quick break and be right back. And then next up is Ammonite, which is one I was really looking forward to. And I don't know if just because of this year and the expectations I had for films, and it was, it's very challenging to meet those expectations, but I was really excited for this film. And I don't know if it's fair to the film, but I was started comparing it to Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which is also from Neon Rated, which is the same studio that released Ammonite. And there are definitely similarities, right? They are both female-led love stories. They are about relationships between two women. They are both sexual relationships between two women. And, and we don't get a ton of these types of movies necessarily that are quote hitting the mainstream and so there there's where the parallels sort of end and I wanted it to be as good as Portrait of a Lady on Fire and unfortunately I don't think it was anywhere near as good and I it's possible because I set those expectations on it that I was disappointed but I also don't think it's just as strong of a story. I don't feel a chemistry between the two leads and the two leads are played by Kate Winslet and Saoirse Ronan they're fine, you know, they're both very strong actresses on their own, but I felt zero spark between them. And maybe just because a lot of their relationship was more physical, or maybe that was what it was supposed to be, and that it was intentionally supposed to show us that, you know, maybe this isn't the greatest love story ever told. But because I couldn't tell whether it was a directorial decision, or, a, you know, an actor decision, or versus just not having good chemistry together, it became a challenge to watch. This is another film where I actually think the sound design is really strong between this and and Sound of Metal, it's going to be a very aural, A-U-R-A-L, week in terms of viewings. I do think versus a portrait of a lady on fire, this might appeal or bring in a slightly broader audience just because you do have these two actresses who are very well known and people might be more willing to give it a chance. But I think if you are looking for a film about this topic uh, or about, you know, female love stories, then I would rather direct you to Portrait of a Lady on Fire. If you've already seen that, 
don't compare the two because that will only be a disadvantage to you in going into this film. There are parts of it that are messy and confusing. And again, that may have been the point. I'm just unclear on that as the audience member. And so I don't think it's a full success in that sense. Actually, one of my favorite characters in it was Fiona Shaw, who is uh, another sort of person who lives in the seaside town. The, basically, the premise is Kate Winslet is a, she, I don't know if she's technically, I guess she's a paleontologist, technically. I suppose that term was around back then. Um, and she works in a seaside town and she collects fossils. And basically, this other fan of fossils drops his wife off with her to essentially base babysit her and then you know things happen but Fiona Shaw is another resident of the town and I thought she is it's also spectacular in everything she does it's actually a little more disappointing because so many strong actors ended up in this film and yet it didn't quite coalesce into something truly spectacular so I'm only going to give it 3.5 out of 5. And then much like Ammonite, which by the way, Ammonite is definitely one that's like a gimme, gimme, gimme an Oscar. I will not be surprised at all if uh, Kate Winslet and Saoirse Ronan are both nominated for Oscars. I don't think it's because they deserve them for this film, but I think because this year is so light on performances that they're just going to slide in. And that's kind of a bummer in some senses, but also, you know, that's what you get for gambling and releasing yourself as a film this year. It, I guess, pays off. But the next film is Mank, and it's a film about film, which which always can be a little bit challenging. It's basically the story of the screenwriter of Citizen Kane, who is Herman Mankiewicz. And the film is, oh God, it's by David Fincher, who I actually really like. The script is from Jack Fincher, who is actually David Fincher's father. So his father passed in 2003. So this script has been floating around for quite a while. And I guess it didn't receive traction until David Fincher decided to make it. I think the fact that the script has been around for a while is part of the problem. Not that it's, you know, I understand why it didn't get made when it, you know, when his father passed, but I think it is still an antiquated script. And I could see that they were clearly trying to update a lot of it to match the parallels of today. There's a lot of stuff about fake news. And yes, it was true to the time in that the studios were making these newsreels to try and impact, um, you know, political campaigns. Golly gee, how times have changed. Yikes. But ultimately for me, I was like, this is a film for people who love Hollywood and old Hollywood in particular. And there's a certain type of person, I feel like it reminds me of the people who were so enamored on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood from Quentin Tarantino last year, but... If you are a broader audience, this is not, I don't think, going to appeal to you. Like, I personally am of, this might be film school blasphemy, but Citizen Kane is not a super compelling film anymore. Maybe it's just because the idea of the billionaire tycoon is no longer novel in that so we have so many more of them nowadays, or that fact that we've just become inundated and used to the fact that there are these magnates who are in charge of everything. You know, that's probably a poorer reflection on the society we're in now. But, you know, Citizen Kane, I feel like a lot of the time gets overblown. And so to make a film about the making of Citizen Kane feels a little bit self-important. And then it's it's told in this sort of non-linear way. And, and also from the start, it's very film language in that you actually see on screen like the interior, day, whatever, and then it shows you the year and it's like flashback. So it's, it's a movie made by people who love movies, but they are not necessarily thinking about the wider movie consuming audience. Not every film is going to be for everyone, but this feels too inside baseball for me. 
Like, if you don't know who some of the characters are, it does not try to sh tell you who they are. And I, again, I feel very torn in giving this criticism, but there's a line between spoon feeding your audience too much and there's a line between trusting them to get who people are. But this film falls in this middle ground of like, it expects you to know who they are, even though not obsessed with Hollywood audience is not necessarily going to know who these historical figures are at this point. So it's still watchable, I think, if you are not a super Hollywood fan. Like, I, I don't consider myself a Hollywood scholar. I'm, I think, very aware of a lot of film history. And so I knew who I would say like 70% of the people are. But at the same time, they also just didn't make me care about them. That's the problem. I, th I think the best character actually in it is Amanda Seyfried, and she plays Marion Davies, who was married to William Randolph Hearst. Um, Charles Dance plays William Randolph Hearst. Lily Collins has this random role in it as uh, Manx, like stenographer or whatever they call it, like transcriber. She writes stuff for him. And then Gary Oldman plays Herman Mankiewicz. And that's also problematic for me. Like I, I'm having trouble with Gary Oldman as an actor these days, just because his outside personal drama is impacting my ability to watch him as an actor on screen. And I don't feel like he actually disappears that much into this role. I know when he played Churchill, you know, he was hidden behind the fat suit and all that stuff, but he's, he's fine in this. Also, Mank just so aggressively fails the Bechdel test and the women characters are so disposable, even though you've got Amanda Seyfried's character in this pivotal sort of role. Like, I don't, I truly don't understand what the Lily Collins character is here for. I don't feel like this is a story that needed to be told. There's a whole additional plot line that gets introduced towards the very, very end that's suddenly like, look, he's actually a hero because of these reasons. But at that point, you've made this character who is not particularly relatable and just sort of seems to be like ambling through life. And I'm like, yes, this is a perfect example of male privilege right here. And sure, people can do good things for the, the world and the society and be selfless and simultaneously act like selfish, buffoonish people. I just don't need to see a movie about it. It's just, it wasn't for me. And that's not to say that every film needs to be for everyone, but this I think the the sort of audience who this film is intended for is going to very much enjoy it. But if none of what I said sounds appealing to you and you don't think Citizen Kane is the greatest film of all time or you haven't seen Citizen Kane, this is not gonna be a movie for you. So take that under advisement. And also then by the time it gets to the sort of political, whatever stuff that it's trying to show as a parallel to today, it's halfway through the movie and it's a long movie. So take this all under advisement if, before you consider watching it. But I would say Sound of Metal or Nomadland are better choices for this week, but this is available on Netflix starting now. So you have been advised. I personally am only gonna give it three out of five. And then the last film for this week is called Godmothered and it's on Disney Plus and like Mank, I am very much not the audience for this, but not, not in a bad way. It's just clearly aimed at a much younger audience. Basically, the idea is uh, an inexperienced fairy godmother in training decides that, to prove that people still need fairy godmothers, but she, you know, it ends up being a sort of mixeroo and slight spoiler alert, but the person she ends up trying to grant the wish for actually ends up being Isla Fisher, who is a fully grown adult at this point. Jillian Bell plays the main godmother, and I think she probably is the best part of this movie. She She's not someone I necessarily would immediately cast in a sort of wholesome family film, but she commits to it. And I do think a lot of the humor is trying to be a little for the parents who will be watching this because this is definitely a kid's movie. But there are a couple of jokes that I was like, okay, that's, that's not bad. If I was a parent subject to watching this, I'd be like, okay. 
you know, haha, I laughed at that part. My kids won't get it, but that's fine. I do think this is basically the streaming equivalent of what they would have done with Enchanted. Like Enchanted does this sort of make fun of the tropes of magic and godmothers and all that stuff like a million times better than this does. But for something that's coming out on streaming, it's on Disney Plus right now, you know, in this absolute content drought. It's family friendly. It's not the worst thing you could be watching with your kids right now. But if you are anybody but a parent with kids, it's a pass. As opposed to something like an Enchanted, which I do think there's like a lot of humor for adults. But it's it's fine it's it is it is exactly what it sets out to be and I think if you're a little kid it will be enjoyable and if you're a parent who is stuck watching this with your little kids it's wholesome enough and it's there's a couple laughs for you in it but as a childless adult I would not give this a super high rating I'm only going to give it 2.8 out of 5 for me but I Again, acknowledging I am not the intended audience. That has been it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed it, we'd love if you could leave us a rating or a review or even consider subscribing.